Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm an elder here at Redeemer Queen's Park. But um, I'm also a minister of religion, so I'm like a missionary I work with an organization in London where we focus on the churches of London to do outreach. So what we do is connect with churches and we develop partnerships and we seek ways to go out into their local community that we can reach people who probably would not come to church or they may be least likely to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They may have heard it from a friend who's not a Christian. They may have heard it from the TV, but they haven't heard the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I say that because, you know, as we go into these verses, Louise read um, all of 28, thank you Louise, but we're really going to just focus on 16 to 20. And um, we see wonderful examples of what this chapter talks about. We see wonderful examples as in even right now as Thomas connects with Danielle, you know, and many other people in the community and, you know, my brother Teddy just loving on her. And and this is the model that we're going to see, you know, this is the mandate that was set for the church to make disciples. So um, as we start to journey, we are just going to look at these verses. So just a quick little overview, you know, we do want a little bit of context before I go into those few verses, because it's only just a few verses. So, the resurrection and commission of the Messiah, you know, chapter 28, it really is about Matthew's concluding chapter, recounts Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His resurrection confirms his identity and that his accomplishment at the cross was accepted by God the Father. Jesus now lives as the faithful companion master and lord of all those who respond to the great commission and trust in him so the first 10 verses that louise just read we read about an empty tomb and a risen lord praise the lord and then the next five verses from 11 to 15 we read about the conspiracy to deny the truth of jesus christ and then finally we're going to look from verse 16 to verse 20 the risen jesus great commission now, verse 16, as we see there. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I wonder, you know, how might things have appeared to them? Some of the disciples a few days earlier had witnessed Jesus was crucified and dead. Many more heard he had risen from the cross. And some even heard he had resurrected from the dead. Who had known anyone to come back to life from being crucified on the cross? His enemies had thought they had won. They thought they had silenced the Messiah. But then again, things are not always as they seem to be or appear. So with the disciples, we see that they went to Galilee. 
They responded to what they heard from Mary Magdalene and Mary. That is in verse seven, when the angel met them and told them to go to Galilee. He said, go quickly and told the disciples, tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Mark's gospel also confirms this very truth and says the same thing in his narrative. But Luke just extends a little bit more and it adds that when the women told the apostles, Peter and some of those, well, it actually sees, says, these words seemed to them as an idle tale. So they were finding it hard to really believe what they heard and they did not believe them when they first received it. But then it tells us in Luke's gospel that Peter went to see them and then he returned home marveling at what happened. He was actually, you know, seeing the tomb was empty. He marveled at that as he went on his way. So what had happened here? This was actually a fulfillment of God's prophecy, which we know throughout the Old Testament, God talking about his son, the Messiah of the world would come. Isaiah 25, it says, he will swallow up death, that he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away every tears from all faces for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So that was being fulfilled right there and then. Jesus had risen from the dead. Our God, the God of our salvation, was starting to take us into a new era. So things were not always as they actually seemed. This was something very new for the disciples as it would be for us. No one have ever seen anything like this before. A wonderful, exciting beginning. So we see they go on to worship him. Verse 17 says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Probably there were more disciples, I believe. We hear him speaking about the disciples and possibly we consider it's just the apostles, but possibly there was more disciples because we know disciples was following Jesus as he was going about ministering and doing things. Um, he says, go and tell my brothers, verse 10 again of Matthew chapter, Matthew 28, verse 10. He says, go and tell my brothers. Jesus talks to Mary and Mad Madeline. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus says that. He says, he says to my brothers. Probably this was a broader group of disciples and followers of Jesus. And I say this for the fact because Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 16, it talks about the 11 apostles. It talks about them going up into the upper room where Jesus told him to go to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So it talks about the apostles, but also Acts chapter one, verse 15, a few verses later, it tells you the company of them was about 120. So we see there was more disciples with the apostles. So I think it would be good to say likewise in Galilee, the probability that there was more disciples. We also have in 1 Corinthians 15, our Paul is telling a testimony how Jesus came and he appeared to more than 500 people. So wherever these sites were, we're not quite Quite sure, but we knew many people saw the risen Lord. So some doubted while some worshiped the Lord. 
And I think it's important, you know, it's good to have the children in here. It's good to have us in here as adults as we always gather together because we also need to take heed and we need to search our heart unless we find ourselves in a place where we also doubt because we do have situations where sometimes we are challenged. Do we really believe God is who he is? Or do we believe God will come through and do what he says he will do for his word? So it's very important to hear God's word and really, you know, grow that we really will believe in him. So that's a challenge to all of us. So what might have been happening here? What might have been happening the conspiracy, Matthew chapter 28, we see verse 11 to 15. We see within this paragraph, we hear about um, the soldiers going to the chief priests, the chief priests consulting with the elders, they're coming up with a conspiracy to make it sound like the disciples gone there while they were sleeping and they took, up, took his body away. But that wasn't quite so. But we see the chief priests and the elders was overcome with their lust for power, their position and their status, their prestige, and that their hearts were hardened to the extent they denied the truth and sought to deceive others as they themselves were deceived. We know people are still deceived to this very day. We, we all know that. You know that when you meet people and you talk to people, you hear very different narratives on what people think about Jesus Christ, who they believe they are. There's many false narratives there. Um, myself and David has been out and, um, you know, we've gone out into the local community and knocked on a few houses and um, we meet people and, um, you know, Specifically, people from an Islamic background, they will believe that Jesus exists, but they just believe that he was a good prophet. That is one that you will always find there. You also meet other people. They may believe in Jesus, but they believe Jesus was just a good person. They do not believe he died on a cross and he rose again. You will hear many other narratives that some will not even believe in Jesus. And then again, some will believe in Jesus. But the thing is they all fall short from seeing Jesus as the resurrected Lord or even believing God's wonderful um, story and narrative on creation and his redemptive story. So people always stop short. And we saw that from when Jesus rose, that this deception went out there and we still have that theme out there to this very day. Let me take the opportunity now just to encourage anyone here who has any doubts in who Jesus is. Whether you have not come to know him yet or you have been discouraged in your walk because of your questions you might have and maybe prayers that you have felt has not been answered. God calls us all to know him personally through the witness predominantly of through his people that is the church and through his word, which bears witness to his truth and who he is. I encourage you to speak to God, whoever you are, if you're not in that place in a right relationship with God or you're not quite sure that he 
communicates and speaks to you or you feel that you're not hearing from him. I encourage you in your own words and your own voice. God is able to relate to any of us with our own language and however you speak. It doesn't have to be fancy. You figure I need to speak or pray like that person. God is able to communicate with you just like a child and a little baby is able to communicate with his mother and father. So I do encourage whoever you are that you reach out and speak to God from your heart in your own words, desiring to know him. God is able to speak to you and draw you to him and make himself known to you. So some doubted and some believed. We see Hebrews chapter one, verse two to three. Here's a clear statement that demonstrates. It says, he is the son of God. This is Jesus. Jesus is the son of God whom God appointed of here of all things, through him, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So we see that testimony there. Jesus, when you see Jesus, you will come to know God because we know God is an all-consuming fire. God dwells in unapproachable light. You cannot see God and live. But Jesus is the exact imprint of God in the flesh to get us and help us to know a God who relates to us, who desires to communicate to us and demonstrate ultimately that he can raise us back up when we draw our last breath. We will either worship Jesus for who he is or have doubts for not seeing him for who he reveals himself to be. God makes it clear there will be a time. If you just sit, sis, and I'll speak to you after, yeah? Huh? All right, that's fine. No problem, that's fine, all right? That's fine, all right? Thanks, Daniel. No problem, Daniel, that's good, all right? Thanks, you take care, right? We will either worship Jesus for who he is or have doubts for not seeing him for who he reveals himself to be. God makes it clear there will be a time. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. That's covering all the universal realms. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has people Sorry, has God's people, the church, has his community. He dwells amongst his people and with them. We are, a we are to desire every nation to come to know God as their creator. Jesus, their Lord and savior and give him the worship alone he is worthy of. To help us overcome doubts and to, and, and to help us overcome our doubts, we are encouraged we're encouraged. We're going to have a picture. We see a picture within the narratives about doubts now. So in the book of Luke, chapter 16, a familiar narrative, chapter chapter 16, right? There's a narrative about um, a wealthy man and Lazarus. Many of you have heard that story and that narrative, right? The wealthy man probably wants for nothing. He eats the best foods. He does what he wants to do. Lazarus, on the other hand, he is a man who's destituted. He's got sores on his body and he sits outside this man's gate. 
All he's desiring is a bit of bread, is a bit, a bit of crumb that falls from the table. That is probably like somebody homeless out there right now. Somebody who's pretty much in dire straits, all right? And um, the rich man probably did not even acknowledge him. And what happened now, when they both drew their last breath, Lazarus was in the place in Abraham's bosom, which was a representation of heaven. You know, Abraham, the man of faith. Um, as for the rich man, he was in Hades. And the narrative goes that the rich man says, please, Father Abraham. Now, I'm not sure if he said father, but Abraham anyway, because Father Abraham probably is not in the faith. So he said, Abraham anyway, Abraham, please let Lazarus, hear this, let Lazarus, don't give me a cup of water. I don't want a bottle of water, but please, just let him dip his finger in the water to quench my thirst. Can you imagine? Imagine your thirst. What's, it, what's, it, what's that going to do? But that's a picture you can see. Probably we hear about torment. We're about the gnashing of teeth. So, you know, it, it's just an eye-opener to know that, you know, we desire nobody to step into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So this is what he asks us, right? So, you know... If Lazarus would have wanted to do that, unfortunately he can't do that because there's a big chasm, a big gulf, so that cannot happen, no way. So this is what he says, the wealthy man. He says, please, listen, send Lazarus down there. I've got five brothers. I've got five brothers who probably live like me. They're living large. They're enjoying life and everything, you know what I mean? And I know they don't believe this thing about Jesus, right? So he said, please, send him down there. But unfortunately, Abraham, sorry, or the narrative goes, we can't send Lazarus down there because neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead because they actually have the prophets down there proclaiming the gospel to them. If they do not believe that, sorry, unfortunately, they're not going to believe when they see somebody rise from the dead. So many of us can be sitting there and we can be people like we know doubting Thomas, but we can be people, right? I see it when I believe it. Yeah, if God do this, I believe it. If this happens, I believe it. If I get this job, I believe it. If this happens for me, I believe it. I'll follow God, I'll walk with God, I'll serve God more. But no, it doesn't go like that. It, 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 you know, God, God knows us, you know, he knows. You will meet people out there, you minister to them and they want to see things, but God knows we're so fickle that, you know, Things are not always what they seem. And then faith, we know, comes from Romans 10, verse 17. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. So, to encourage us, we preach the word of God here. We seek to preach God's word uncompromised. We desire that we all pick up a Bible when we follow because I'm fallible. So as I'm speaking and throwing out God's words and trying to quote the text, you follow it in your Bible. You follow it on your phone. If there's an error, you talk to me afterwards because I'm fallible. But we don't take this thing lightly. So we either worship Jesus or we will doubt him. But my prayer is that we will be a people that worship Jesus for who he is. So we see he's on Galilee. They went there, they met him. Then Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How might that seem and appear to them? 
it may have seemed like, how is this possible for Jesus to have all authority? Of course, I mean, to see somebody resurrected, they know, they heard he died on a cross, they know he was buried, they have testimony to that, they've heard he's risen, they can see him now in Galilee. John 20, 19 tells us that they were terrified. It tells us that they had their doors locked for fear of the Jews. They're terrified. I mean, the Roman Empire is ruling all around them. This may have been very difficult for them to believe. Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. But yet still, the Roman Empire is still dominating in the area. The one they loved and had been walking with and learning from him for three years was taken from them by force and crucified. Now they need to believe he has all authority in heaven and on earth when outwardly it doesn't look that way after all they had experienced. Church family, even myself, do we trust that all authority is with Jesus when things are hard to explain? When we're persecuted, when we're let down, when we're under attack, when things don't look favorable to us outwardly, do we still believe Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, saying that that's our Messiah, that's our King? Why am I going through this? If he has authority, God is good, right? Let's search our hearts. But what was really happening there? The church was beginning to be established. So we know Jesus is back now. He's done his work. He's shown his model. The church was beginning to be established. It was all part of God's plan with Jesus as the head, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which Thomas will start a new series of that, I believe, next week. God's authority would be known shortly and is demonstrated through the book of Acts as the church is established as the body of Christ. God's authority, rule and reign is always revealed at his appointed time. Unfortunately, God's time is not always our time, but he's always on time. We can say amen to that. Romans chapter 13, 1 to 2, we see again. Let every, Romans 13, 1 to 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So we're subject to the governing authorities of the land. We're subject to the authorities of probably our workplace and those who are in authority. We're subject to those authorities, all right? For there is no authority except from God. So Jesus can say all authority in heaven and earth, but there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. I know that might seem hard. How does that work? How can this person be in authority and look what they're doing? But it's clear, God is sovereign. He has all authority. So we just have to live with that and work it out to see what his wonderful plan is going to be for our lives. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So we know we've got ultimately, God is a just God. He's a loving God, a merciful God, a righteous God, but he's also a God of judgment. We know there will be a time where we will all stand before him and give an account. So likewise, I suppose that might be training for us while we're on earth. With the establishments, there's 
you know, there's consequences. If you step out of line, there's consequences. So that's a good place to have a lesson and just know we've got it will be far more severe because, you know, we desire no one will live outside of his presence for eternity. I would wish and desire not that happens to nobody. So this is a clear picture of God's sovereignty and reign. Here's a quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon declares, power in the hands of some people is dangerous. I think we can all agree to that. But power in the hands of Christ is blessed. Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it. For he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. I read that again. For he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. We can rest assured there is no authority except from God. So let us learn to trust in his sovereign rule and reign over our lives. So all authority is with Jesus. So therefore, with that authority, he comes now to speak to the apostles, the disciples, probably the apostolic ministry now. This is part of the foundation being laid. So he says in verse 19, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity there. We see the one God, but in the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I said, Thomas will take us more through that in the weeks to come. Wonderful picture of our God. Go. The commission is to go, not sit. Go. They had witnessed countless people meeting with Jesus, receiving miracles, being healed and coming to see him as their Messiah, their Lord and their Savior and going off to be witnesses. So they actually saw all these things. How about the woman at the well in John chapter 4 verse 28 to 42? Jesus met the woman at the well and look at Jesus. He's with his disciples. They don't really go through Gentiles grounds. They don't really go through there through the Samaritans land. The disciples wouldn't want to do that. But Jesus sends them on a mission and he goes there. He goes out of his way to meet those who probably be, they were not part of, you know, the Jews. Like, you know, I mean, the bread was for the Jews. He really come for the Jews. But at the same time, we see him going out to the Gentiles, right? So we see the Samaritan woman. He went there and met her. He went to have a Pacific meeting with her. Wonderful. So he meets her. He he. He testifies and shares with her. Then, hey, what did she do? You know, she went and testified to her people. They all came based on her witness and they came and heard the word of God and they believed for themselves. They were introduced to God's word through this woman. We also have Mark chapter 5. What did Jesus do again? He crossed the lake of Galilee. He went to a Gentile place again, you know, because there was a man possessed by a demon. When he cast out the demon, the demons, I forgot where they didn't want to go, but here what, the demons ended up gaining a pig. So when it's a Gentile land, that's not going to be Israel. It's not going to be the Jews. They don't eat pork, nor do I, but I'm not a, you know what I mean? That's just a matter of choice. But he casted the demons into the pigs and they went into there, right? So we just see again a picture of Jesus going out of the way to save people who's probably on the margins, people who usually get overlooked. And the man, he was healed. And then a wonderful thing in Mark chapter 5, verse 19. This man, can you imagine? He was possessed 
by demons. He was cutting himself up and everything, tormented. Jesus helps him, heals him and puts him in his right mind. What else would he want to do? Jesus, can I roll with you? Can I, can I be part of your crew? Can I, can, I, can I come and be with you? Fortunately, Jesus told him, no, no. Go to your people. Go, go, go to your land and tell them the marvelous things that God has done. And he went off and he witnessed. He went and he proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. He went away and witnessed. Now there, it, it shows everybody in this room who confesses and believes Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. This demon-possessed person, he didn't really go through much. I mean, all he knows is he can say, I was out of my mind. I was in a destitute place in a cave. Jesus came. He set me free. I mean, it doesn't need all the theology. It just needs to, you know. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 2, I think chapter 2 or something, but it tells us we're pre-sons of God, right? And it tells us to go and proclaim about the wonderful things he'd done. I mean, just simple. Listen, brother, sis here. Yeah, listen, I used to be like this, you know, but I tell you what, God has been doing a wonderful thing in my life, honestly, right? I know at these hard times and things are going on, but I'm, I'm telling you, right, my God's good and I know he loves you. However, however, he's made you wonderfully and uniquely made. You can say in your own words and in your own voice and in your own ways, right? You are wonderfully and fearfully made, you know? So, um, you know, we don't look to be like that person or that person, you know? We be who God created us to be because he's created each and every individual in air for a specific purpose. So we step out and walk in that and trust in Lord. We don't trust in our own strength and, you know, our own goodness. We trust in what the Lord's doing. Anyway, so Jesus said, go to some very imperfect disciples. Look at that. It is Peter, the rash and the headstrong. You know, Peter, he's always pretty rash and quick. You know, look when Jesus was getting red, um, red, arrested. What's he do? He cut off somebody's ears. Look at Jesus. You know, Jesus, I'll never deny you. No, you're not going there. You know, Jesus, sorry, Peter was hush, rash and headstrong. It is John who wanted to call fire down from heaven to destroy men. That's John. Jesus, let me call down fire and burn them up. Look at that heart. He's rolling with Jesus. He sees Jesus save people, but let me call down fire. Come on, like Elijah, let me call down fire. Nah, it can't happen, bro. And it is Philip with whom the Savior Jesus has been so long, and yet he had not known him. You know, Philip said, you know, Jesus said, you see me, you see the Father. Hmm, show us the Father. I ain't seen the Father. So, it's, you know, it's imperfect people just like us. It is Thomas who first must put his finger into the print of the nails or he will not believe. Nah, I ain't believing it until I touch him and see it. It's imperfect people like that. Yet the Lord and Master says to them, go, all power is given unto me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We are as good for his purpose as anybody else would be who trust and believe in Jesus. There is no power in us. Nah, there's no power in us. He knows, God knows. But then all power is with him. Therefore, we also should go to make disciples as he commands us to do with his authority. It would have been a real challenge for them to go and make disciples in that instance. All who, sorry, after all, who can do this in their own strength? 
I know I can't, but we know they couldn't until Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit came upon them. It sees them empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. The imperative or vital importance of this commission, go and make disciples. The call is to make disciples, that is, Jesus' ministry in Israel was to be the beginning point of what would later be a proclamation of the gospel to all the peoples of the earth. And we can all testify to God's faithfulness and witness today. I mean, just look around this room, look at the nations, look at it. You know, I can see clearly, I'm a Londoner, grown up here, and you just see the wonderful thing that God is doing. He's just bringing all the nations here where the history of Europe anyway and so forth, usually sent missionaries abroad to other countries, whether they consider, you know, undeveloped land or whatever. But right now you have undeveloped land people coming over here to minister over here because our hearts are cold. But look at this wonderful room. Wonderful when I look and just see the different nations, the different faces. That is beautiful. And that's a work of God. And that is a demonstration of his spirit working amongst us. This was the apostolic ministry taking shape right here and them being commissioned, being given the foundation and the model of ministry, being set the mandate for what the church should be doing, taking part in God's mission, which we see him doing from the fall back in Genesis, from the fall of mankind. God was always on a mission to restore and bring people back to himself. God has always been the one to draw people to himself. And now he establishes his church as his body to work through them by his spirit, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. We also, you know, um, see the beginning, we, we see this picture you know, going to make disciples. We see the beginning of the new community of faith was being established. The early church included both Jewish and Gentile Christians. Matthew's gospel would have been, would have encouraged them to transcend ethnic cultural barriers, to find unity in service to Jesus, the Messiah, as members of the universal church. Here's a quote from J.C. Ryle. He is um, a minister who was in Liverpool, um, in the last century. So here's a wonderful quote, which I like, you know, so if we'll put it up on the screen. If you love Jesus, never be ashamed to let others see it and know it. Speak for him, witness for him, live for him. I think that's wonderful. That speaks from my heart. I love that. We love Jesus in here, right? Yeah, we love him. Let us never be ashamed, never be ashamed to let others see it and know it. We don't have to push it in their face bold, but let's be confident and, you know, let's be, yeah, let's be faithful and hopefully let people see the one we love, we want to share with them. So, you know, let us not be ashamed of, so let's not be ashamed of, let's, sorry, never be ashamed to let others see it and know it. Speak for him, witness for him live for him so now we come to verse 20 important teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i will be with you always to the end of the ages so the church is built and maintained by jesus continuing presence god's saving work in the present age is carried out chiefly by and through the church so he works through his church. That is God's community. That is God's people. It used to be Israel where they was his people. But 
they were uh, people probably who excluded other nations, you know, but God works primarily through his church, you know, his church is to reflect his glory and people, you know, and his church is the body of Christ, which Jesus continues to build and inhabit, and he inhabits us. Anyone who responds to Jesus' call, no matter your ethnicity, social, economically background, social status, male or female, rich or poor, is brought into the fellowship of his church to enjoy him and participate in the community of his kingdom. We are called to love one another. We are challenged to do this by intentionally getting to know one another and those who do not look like us. Ouch or amen. That may sting because it's a real challenge or amen because you agree. But in whichever way, this is God's will and this is God's commandment. We all call upon the one Father, Heavenly Father. Therefore, God looks at us and says, brother and sister. So even if we don't look the same, we all stand on the same viewpoint before God. And as a church, people will know us by the love that we have for one another. They have been delegated the responsibility, a heavy responsibility. They have no idea how to accomplish this task in their own strength. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and letting them know all who come to him and those who come to him in a personal relationship and trust him, seeking forgiveness and the righteousness that God so graciously offers them through trusting in Christ. Jesus teaches his disciples to study and follow his teachings so they are able to pass on and teach others. We see a great example of this with the Apostle Paul again. We know he was a man passionate for the Lord. And, you know, he says in Romans, um, I'm obliged. Uh, he says he's under obligation to preach the gospel. He has such a desire. He's under obligation. He's not going to sit still. He knows God met with him. He knows about the God of creation who offers salvation to all mankind. He is under obligation. Probably sitting there is like, I have to speak and share what God has done in my life. I have to. I cannot hold that for myself. Woe is me if I stand before the Lord and I do not share that. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, 3. Paul says, I remind you of the gospel. And this is also to us. This is also speaking to us as well. So Paul says to the Corinthians church, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the words, I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So you see, we have God's word. And it's important for us to continue in that. What might we learn from this? We are to faithfully learn scripture so we can teach ourselves to observe all God's commandments, his word, and likewise teach others. And I believe that's part of the use of the community group, that we encourage everybody to be a part of the community group, that we have fellowship, that we can read it beforehand hopefully when we come to the community group we can share what we believe God is saying or what scripture is saying and we've got time to probably look at some verses just to make sure you know it corresponds with what we're learning and also you know Matthew chapter 4 4 says man 
cannot live by bread alone, but by every, come on, talk to me. I want you to talk back now. Word, yeah. But man can't live by bread alone, right? And you know, everybody's ate today, right? Yeah? Yeah, I know you must have ate. If you ain't ate, you must be really hungry, so I'll finish soon, right? And um, if you haven't ate, you will eat before the, day, before the day's through, right? So man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. So what I'm saying, you know you eat food, you eat bread to sustain your body, to give you strength. If you don't, you're going to weaken. So how much more so as a spiritual creation, a new creation, you need to eat, sorry, well, you need to read God's word spiritually because it is food, it sustains you. So that is what God is saying. And also, again, every word. So not just some, every word, because even the most difficult and awkward book of Leviticus and Numbers and all the genealogy and everything that wears you down, what does that mean? Well, maybe God's just letting us know, well, we don't, they didn't have birth certificates. So all that long list for that three chapters or whatever, it's just helping to know the lineage and everything. And God is a God of detail. God is a God of detail. It is all important. It is all relevant. So every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Teaching is a means by which disciples of Jesus are continually transformed in order to become more like Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher. The ultimate goal of a disciple is to be like his master. And that's our ultimate goal. And we know God's working in us daily to transform us to be like our Lord and Savior. A well-established belief in Judaism and the greco 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 Greco-Roman world, that was the world belief. We will not grow in our love, our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ if we are not spending time reading our Bibles. We grow in grace by reading God's word and letting it dwell in us richly and praying. These actions by themselves don't naturally make us mature, but God uses these spiritual disciplines to help us to grow. Maturing in our Christian life is about what God does in us, even in the most difficult moments and experiences by his grace. For Philippians 2.13 tells us, God works in you, read, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he also does it to everybody else, but I thought I'd call Reed's name. Peter also confirms that we need to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and to have that intimate relationship with him. Because the more we know him, the more of him will be seen in our lives. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So closing again, the last part B of verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the ages. Jesus assures them, no matter how terrified they are, they're trying to get to grips, you know, they've met Jesus on the mountain of Galilee, you know, seen a dead man rise, well, the Messiah rise, he's alive, he's there, you know, the nails, the holes in his hands, you know, he tells them all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. They're trying to process all of that. He tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. So they have to really go to the Samaritans. They're trying to get to grips with all of this, you know, and then he affirms them and encourages them, you know, you're not going to be by yourself, right? I am with you always to the end of the ages. Jesus assures them he's with them to the end of the ages, we know the book of Matthew started, Matthew 123, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We know God is also with us. He is with us. It might not seem that way, but he is with us. This speaks to us also 
to reassure us Jesus is with us and dwells in our hearts by faith. What God has called us to do, he has equipped us to do it. And he will not leave us alone to accomplish what he has called us to do. We are to focus on scripture, to hear the life-transforming promises from God to us and take heart and be assured Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us to the end of the ages. Let us have the same assurance the early disciples had and hold tight to the same promise. So let us glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, just briefly, you know, before I close, I just want to see how might these verses directly speak to us? What might the application look like? What might be the takeaway? So I think verse 13, you know, when it talks about the disciples met Jesus on, Mount, on the Galilee, on the mountain, you know, we would do well to respond to God's authoritative word on receiving it, on receiving it as the disciples did when they heard it from Mary Magdalene and Mary, because they went and told the disciples, go there. That's what the angel told them, right? We too need to respond to God's authoritative word when we are directed by God's word to do something. We are to trust God will watch over his word to perform it. I think verse 17 may be a takeaway. Likewise, you know, they bowed down and they worshipped him. I think likewise, we need to see Jesus in all of his sovereignty and all of his glory. Likewise, we need to search our hearts to see what are we worshipping? What is taking our attention? What is taking our time? Who do we give that honour and glory to? Is it our work? Is it is it a career? Is it is it something that really appeals to us and something that takes the space that Jesus alone is worthy of all that glory and praise? I mean, everything else is good within its right place, but Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. Him too we bow down and give the glory to. So verse 18, and he said to them, all authority in heaven has been given unto me. We can stand firm knowing God is for us and God is for us and with us. Our responsibility is to trust in his authority through his word. That's why we listen to his word. That's why we hear his word. And no, no matter how things are looking at present, even in the darkest days, as it did for the disciples, they was in some dark days. Remember, they was with the Masari got taken away. The darkest days. Jesus is faithful to show up at the right time and ensure us all authorities with him, no matter the challenges. So let's seek to take comfort in his truth and trust in his authority. Even when things do not go our way, just know that all authority is established by God. So though things might not be going your way, God still has a plan for our life. Let's strive to try and be faithful and just trust that God will work things out for his glory, praise and his honour. Verse 19, the takeaway. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A great commission for evangelism and mission. Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations is found only in the book of Matthew and has motivated countless believers to reach out to the lost with good news of the gospel. As Jesus made disciples in his early ministry, his commission, he commissions his church to follow his example. Let us as a church community collectively and individually Look to be faithful to this commission and pray and seek God for ways in which we can be a witness around this community, to our family members, 
to our loved ones, to our work colleagues, to people we know in social places, wherever we are, let's seek and ask God to help us to see how we can be a witness, for this is what we are called to do. And then finally, verse 20. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the ages. This scripture, the scriptures, this beautiful Bible, this is a nice, beautiful Bible, yeah? Nice if you've got your own Bible. This is a nice Bible, I like it. But this Bible, it teaches our Bible, your Bible's on your seats. It teaches us to observe that we can, sorry, the scriptures contain all the knowledge we will ever need to learn of God, his son and his spirit, at least in this life anyway. God's desire for those he has saved is their sanctification and transformation. He wants us to become more holy like him. He wants to transform us into the image of his son. The way to do this is by meditating on the scriptures and applying their principles so our lives as so our lives as they yield to the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So followers of Jesus are responsible to present the whole counsel of God to those who we see come to become a disciple. And um, at Redeemer here, just finally, you know, let us take care to listen and hear God's word or else we too can find ourselves in a place of doubt. We Christian believers in Jesus Christ have a calling as witness to share the gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We invite all people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to observe all his commandments. We invite anyone who does not know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior to just ask God to make himself known to them in their own way. God will hear you if you speak to him. For God is able to speak to you and assure you of his presence and his love. Let me pray.